Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I guess we'll get going. Everyone's quiet now. Um, Genesis, that's where we're starting. Um, um, I didn't have any of the, the dad jokes that, that Seth had. Because those are, those are clearly dad jokes. Actually, there was one I was looking for. I, I had a comic I saved for a long time, and I, I couldn't find it. And it was a picture of a cave drawing. And it showed, it, like, Adam and Eve and a guy standing there going, trust me, I'm your attorney. And the guy goes... See, I always knew the serpent was a metaphor. And I always think, I always think yeah, if you can't laugh at yourself, you know, you're taking yourself too seriously. Actually, I got a, better, I got a little better joke. Um, I get this from the dispatch. It's, a, it's an email newspaper, and it says, The Food and Drug Administration has reportedly received 231 complaints in recent weeks from consumers uh, dealing with nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea after eating General Mills Lucky Charms cereal. We thought that that was just part of the Lucky Charms experience. I mean, you're eating Lucky Charms. How can you not know that that's probably going to upset your stomach, right? All right, enough with the bad jokes. We'll move on to Genesis. Welcome, everyone. We're starting this study on the book of Genesis going in the next number of weeks, and each one of us will pick a section. Uh, well, not pick a section. We'll kind of work our way through the whole book um, as we talk through Genesis. I've got chapters 1 through 3, and we're going to try to get through those today. Uh, and it's really about talking about God's will. And, uh, and really about um, kind of, I say, getting back to Eden, because uh, it, it kind of begins here. I was thinking through recently the story of Stephen um, before he was stoned. Uh, you know, he did uh, his speech before they took him out to stone him. And he is, it's a rather long speech. And I always thought it was kind of interesting that he kind of actually gave a history lesson. It's, it's like he starts back at the beginning talking about Abraham. Um, and I think that, um, I think it partly because they think he understood where it all began, and it is on that note that we're going to begin with Genesis, because when the commentary I was kind of looking at, this New American Commentary, describes Genesis this way. Genesis stands second to none in its importance of proclaiming the whole will of God. It presents the literary and theological underpinning of the whole canonical scriptures. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of the story. Um, thus far, our faith, it begins here in Genesis. If you want to know God's will, it is in the Bible, but it begins in the book of Genesis. So I'm going to look at the first three chapters. I'm going to do a broad overview. Um, I'm not going to read them, uh, so you can follow along. Um, I, you know, I know every Bible is different, so I don't know the page number, but I'm guessing it all starts around page one in your Bible, as it does mine. Uh, one of the things I did find interesting is I was kind of reading through, and I actually ended up reading through those first three chapters numerous times over the last few weeks, and I realized that I actually don't spend a whole lot of time in chapter one. I think it's one that we kind of brush over. I think a lot of people are probably like me. Just You kind of, kind of know what it says, but you don't really spend it. And then it's kind of interesting when you kind of read through all the details, things that come out. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful time. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here. Um, just bless our time, Lord. Help us to hear from you. Help us to hear from your word, Lord, uh, and, and, and uh, hear what, what you have for us today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in this first chapter of Genesis, God's describing, or as Moses wrote the book of Genesis, describing how things were created. So we all know how it begins because it begins with the word begins. Everyone is this probably most oft-quoted section. Uh, and it begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Then he describes, you know, how God hovered over the waters. The earth was just water, I guess, at that point. Um, and you've heard this phrase many times because everyone does it when they turn on the lights. They say, let there be light. So God created light. Now, officially, initially, I would always think, oh, well, you know, the sun. But it's not the sun. That comes later. So the question is, what is this light? Um, well, we kind of don't know. It just says he created light. Um, we just know that uh, perhaps it was God. Um, we just know that the light illuminates the darkness. And that's an interesting theme, because that theme goes throughout the Bible. The light illuminates the darkness. Um, in fact, we see it here in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then in John 1, 4-5, In him was life. That life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, and that's describing who Jesus is. So we get this idea of life, but we also get another idea that begins here. It's God as creator. Um, now, the word here is, for God is the word Elohim, all right? It, it, it's as opposed to the word Yahweh. Yahweh has, has a little bit more of a personal tone to it. Elohim is actually used a lot more, and it's more about God as creator, almighty God, and it's used many more times. And what we have here in this first section here is I also from my commentary, I got this. It says, Israel's faith in God as creator, not just redeemer, provided an all-embracing framework as a fundamental all-underlying under, premise for any talk about God, the world, Israel, and the individual. So it was about God as creator at the beginning, and that's how God was viewed. One other thing that we do get from this kind of beginning chapter is the idea of the day. It says there, um, it's interesting how it is written. I thought it was kind of fascinating as I was looking through it. I said, well, it's kind of interesting. It says, there it says, it's described as evening and morning, the first day. It doesn't say midnight to midnight. It begins on the evening. So when does the Sabbath begin? It begins at sundown, right? And so that's why the Sabbath carries from evening to morning, right? So those are the three key things we got here. This light, God the creator, and our idea of a day. So then we move on to day two. What happens there? He decides to focus on the water. The earth has just got water. And he decides to separate, which I, for me took a while to kind of grasp, well, what do you mean separate the water? Because I'm like, well, I'm on earth. What do you mean separate the water? Well, it was just all water, and he splits it in two. Some, words you, some Bibles use various versions to describe that. Some will call it an expanse. Others will call it, I know one I have says calls it a vault, and I think another one calls it firmament. But in that expanse, he creates skies. So there's water above and water below. And that's all you've got. So that's my picture. I tried to find pictures that were related. Um, uh, and so we, uh, and we also see at the, this day two a pattern emerges in how the description goes. It starts with God says, God does, and then it ends with, and there was evening and there was morning the blank day. So this one would be the second day. 
Moving on to st- on the third day, it says um, God decides to do m- more than one thing on day three. He focuses on the water uh, under the expanse. He decides to create dry land. Amen. Decides to create dry land and separate the waters into seas. Now we don't know. Well, what, it, what was the land? Was this idea of land suddenly created amongst the water? Or was it the earth, you know, as we would, might think, is there was land underneath the water that now came through? We have no idea. It doesn't say. Just, it just says that he decided to create dry land and start to separate the seas. He also produces vegetation. Two different types. It says plants bearing seed as well as trees bearing fruit in, with seed in it. Of course, there is a question arises, is that, was this the only type of vegetation? Again, don't know. We're not given that information. It just describes two different types of vegetation. And then we start to see an additional phrase added that adds in subsequent um, days is, and God saw that it was good. Moving on to day four. So we have that. Um, Moving on to day four, God... Uh, God decides to put lights that illuminate the sky. It talks about a greater light governing the day and a lesser light governing the night. The Hebrew words sun and moon were not specifically used. Um, and, the remark, uh, you know, and the remark of the stars is kind of somewhat afterwards. All right? um, it's speculated this was due to that there was, um, there was many kind of Religion. When Moses was kind of writing this out, maybe there was it was the targeting that there were many religions focusing on worship of the celestial beings. You know, the Egyptians had the Ra, right? It was the sun god, and so the focus was not supposed to be on what was going up above. The focus always had to be on God. We're just describing what God is doing. There's nothing magical about the sun. There's nothing magical about the moon. There's nothing magical about the stars, unless you're a scientist and you get into whole gravitational stuff. Then it is kind of fascinating. But for the most part, they're just things that God created. The focus should always be on God. Um, we, we can marvel at it, but we also must marvel at the fact that God created these things. That focus should always come back to the Lord. And so the, the, that's, that's why you don't see an overemphasis on exactly what is there. Moving on to day five. So there you have that. Moving on to day five, we have... Um, we get a little more action, and it says, it seems to be the busiest. God creates living creatures on the land, and three different types are mentioned. Livestock, wild animals, creatures that move along the ground. And I, the thought goes through my head, well, was this all? Uh, because there are certain creepy crawlies I'd like to assume were the result of the fall, because, you know, I don't, I don't like bugs. So, <laughs> I like insects, right? Uh, and it's interesting, growing up with my, my oldest son, he was really always into stuff. Like, he was into, like, insects. Like, and I was always like, well, I don't want to do that. Like, he, he would actually have, when he was a kid, would let it, put a tarantula on his hand. And I'm like, I'm standing, like, 10 feet away. I'm like, I'm not getting near that thing. It looks gross, right? And I actually think tarantulas aren't as bad as they look, but they do look creepy now. Um, yeah, and next we also see that God creates man. And this is what he says of man. And I think it's, it's telling what he says. He's created in God's image. And then it says he created male and female. Now, there's a lot of politics behind that whole deal, right? You can get really into it, like, you know, about g- uh, gender and relations between male and female. 
Um, but I'm not going to talk about those things. Uh, you might think that I'm a wuss, but yeah, that would be right. I'm not really wanting to dive into that one right now. But God, we were created in God's image and created male and female. And so it does open up the question about who is God. Again, a very good question, but I'm not sure you're always going to find that answer because we weren't really meant to know that answer. Um, it rules over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all, uh, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then he said this the following to his creation. He blesses man, uh, and man, and this is man in the general terminology, tells man to be fruitful and multiply and fulfill the earth, tells man to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Tells man that they are given every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit in it, they will be yours for food. And then he says he gives every green plant a food to the beasts of the air, birds of the air, everything that has breath in it. Makes you wonder if whether or not man ate animals before the fall. I know Seth is freaking out right now because, you know, that he might have had a little bit of trouble there at the beginning there if he had to, like, stick with the fruits and the vegetables. Um, Love you, man. <laughs> uh, um, and then he finishes with an extra saying. He says it is very good this time. And we move on to the last day where he rests. Um, God is done, and it says that he rests on the seventh day. Uh, <clears throat> and the interesting thing is we don't have that day formula in the last day. So we don't have the evening and the evening and morning in the seventh day, which always makes you wonder, like, well, are we still in the seventh day? Did the seventh day end? I don't know. Um, it, it also brings up the controversial issue in the church of whether or not this was 24-hour, seven 24-hour literal days. And it's a big issue. Generally, where you stand, you will be confused of being conservative, fundamentalist, liberal, progressive, depending on where you fall on that. Um, and on the one hand, you know, the prevailing belief a lot within the science world a lot of times is that the world is very old. Uh, it's many billions of years old. I don't know what the number is up to now. Um, I always looked at it as somewhat arbitrary because I always figure, what's the difference between 30, 40, or 50 billion years? Like what, you know, take your pick. Like, you know, how do you know? Um, the other is, is that the world has to be old for evolution to work as, as, as that theory goes out. You know, for it to progress, it has to be incredibly old. Um, regarding the Bible, this is interesting, too. There's a level of ambiguity here. Um, one of my commentary mentions this, that, um, that according to the commentary, early Jewish and Christian interpreters were troubled why it took God so long to create the world. Because it's God. God should have snapped his fingers and it should have been an instantaneous. Why do we have this progressive description? Now we have a problem where people are troubled that it took God so fast. The world's old, it shouldn't have been that fast. And I always look at that and think, so a long time ago we had a trouble because you went too quick, now we have a trouble because you went too so long. It makes me wonder if maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing. This shouldn't be an issue and maybe we're making it an issue. Who knows? The reference to the evening and morning suggests a normal solar day, yet the sun didn't show up until day four. Um, however, I guess you could argue maybe the idea of a 24-hour day was created beforehand and then it kind of solidified as we went along. Uh, um, day may not have been uh, its normal meaning since some Hebrew words such as um, the heavens and the earth sometimes have a more of a, a generic meaning or don't always have a literal meaning. 
Uh, day seven didn't end, and then you have Psalm 94, which says, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. See, some people will say, well, you know, God's day is like a thousand years, so then that's why the world is old, as, as the argument goes. I don't want to get in hot water on this, but I'm not sure it matters how the day has to be articulated. Um, however, I do think it happened. I disagree with those. Some people will even argue that this is just an allegory. Um, you have, it can't be an allegory, particularly when it comes to Adam, because without Adam, you don't have original sin. And Paul spent a lot of time talking about that in Romans, where sin entered through one man. So I do believe it happened. I'm just one that probably doesn't get too wound up over the, you know, how that played out. I just figured, it, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask, you know, I'll just say, Lord, how did that work out? Um, uh, so then we move on. Um, we move on to the creation of man. Again, man in the general term. Um, and I use the term man because my Bible uses the term man. I know some people, why don't you just use the word human? My Bible uses man, so that's what I'm going with. Uh, unless it says the man, then it is specifically talking about Adam. Um, <clears throat> now, it says that no shrub or plant had appeared in the field, for God had not yet sent rain and had no one to work the fields. This is very telling about how God creates things. Because what it means is that sometimes God creates things that are completely functioning, but sometimes God creates things that create. So you have seeds. Two is that his purpose here was that this would be a functioning world. There would be rain, it would grow plants, and then somebody would have to take care of it. So therefore, he created man from the dust, breathed life in it. Um, he put him in the garden he had created in Eden, where he put trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. He also put two trees in the middle, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he gave one instruction. Um, he said, um, he gave him one instruction, which he said, you know, what did he tell him? He says, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he could work the garden, he could have anything, but he couldn't have that one thing, right? The one rule. Um, and I always think back and I go, look at all the rules in Leviticus, right? All these things. And Adam had one, right? And he couldn't, you know, they couldn't handle the one. And now we have many. Like, thanks, Adam. Great. You couldn't handle the one. Um, and so uh, he said the man was, man, but then he realized that it wasn't perfect. That's an interesting thing as, as the process goes, as God is working through and developing this, he's, he's doing these things and then reali and realizes things as it goes along. And he decides it's not perfect because he decides that this man needed a helper. But what, so what does he do? He allowed the man to name the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Um, and so he has this need, but, it, but then it says no suitable helper could be found. So I'm wondering, was, he, was the process meant to see if one of those would serve as a helper? Or was it just that? I had one, one pastor who used to say that he, he recognized uh, that Adam had a need for someone and that he decided to allow Adam time for Adam to realize that he had a need. I don't know. I mean, I don't, again, this is speculation. But he needed someone. And so that's where woman comes, right? He creates woman. God decides to provide a suitable helper. God creates woman. 
And then Adam responds, right? Um, God creates the woman, and Adam responds this way. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And I was thinking about this response, and I don't know if anybody has seen West Side Story. They've kind of re-released it. And there's a, and if, or maybe you saw the older version, right? And there's the, there's the scene where Tony is going along, and he sings about Maria, right? I just met a girl named Maria. I just kissed a girl named Maria. And he's singing her name and singing it loudly, and the line goes, um, what does he say? Say it loud, and there's music playing. Say it softly, and it's like praying. I go, isn't love grand, right? But this is Adam. I was going to play it for you, but I, it would take too long. Um, actually, I love it because I think it's, it's just so representative of Broadway. Big sound, big, you know, big music. It's great. It's great. And it's also kind of funny, right? And, but the fact that he, he, um, you know, he was so enthralled, and I think that's kind of what Adam was. He was enthralled with Eve. But we also see something else in her. This is when marriage was ordained. The line we get here from is, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Marriage was, from the beginning, always to be this way. And it was a covenant that began at that time. And then it says they had no shame. Marriage ordained, and they, and they felt no shame, even though they were naked. But then things don't go so well, right? We have the fall. The serpent comes along. He's more crafty. He talks to the woman, um, and then uh, and he comes along and he says, you know, talks to her about it. Well, what did God say? And she she responds back to him, um, you know, well, we're not supposed, we can have anything, but we can't have uh, the one tree. Uh, and she says, well, well, we will surely die, right? And then then the serpent tells her a lie. But what was the lie? He tells her a couple of things, right? But what was the lie? He says, you're not, you won't die. And then he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The interesting thing, I think the first one was the lie. The second one wasn't technically a complete lie. Now, I don't know, being like God, is, is, that could be a lie as well, but your eyes being opened. And so he lies to her. And then the woman sees that it's good, and it's good for wisdom, eats and gives some of it to her husband, who is clearly standing next to her, who says nothing. Now, I wonder about this. I think about, I don't think these words from the serpent came out of nowhere. I don't think that they were like, oh, I never really thought about that. I think I'll have that. I think I'll go do that. I think they were staring at that tree for a while. I think they were looking at it and, and contemplating it and wondering about it and he came along at the right time because that's how sin works. You know, we're not tempted by something out of the blue. We're tempted about something that's already started on the inside and has already worked its way. And when the devil comes along, it's at the right moment where we're ripe, so to speak. I think of this phrase from James. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin, and sin, which is full-grown, gives birth to death. I think that desire had already been there. And they just reached out, and he, just, he sprung it, and they jumped at it. But what was their sin? What did they do wrong? And I, I have two things. Um, 
that, uh, that come to mind. One is there was a lack of trust. They wouldn't trust God. God told them not to do it, and they decided. But even a bigger one is they were not putting God first. This is the sin that goes on throughout the Bible, throughout the history. They didn't put God first. And it's committed by the Israelites, and we struggle with that one too. Um, some would say that, you know, the man and woman should have been, you know, should, uh, should have just repeated what God, you know, really what they should have done was just repeated what God did and walked away, but they didn't. Um, <clears throat> but I think they were bothered that God was keeping them from them. Some of, this is a common problem. I believe that, you know, we think God should not keep things from us. Um, however, that attitude forgets who he is. As I mentioned, he's Elohim. He's the creator of all things. What right do we have to demand anything from God? What leads next is to a cross-examination, and this one's really funny to me because I wasn't there. Um, now, we see that God is walking through, the, uh, through to meet the man and women, which I'm sure he did many times, calling for them. And we know at this point God knew what had happened. He's doing this for their benefit. Um, he's calling for their name, and then the man you know, pipes up and then tells them, we're feeling shame, and then he says, why are you feeling shame? You know, did you eat from the tree, right? Did you eat from that tree, um, right? He says, this, you know, because what does he say here? And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And this is his first response, right? I love this response. The woman you put me here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So we start the blame game, right? It's like, hey, it's, it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault, right? And so he says, the woman that you put here. So when he is saying that, what is he saying? Well, one is he's saying, it's the woman's fault. I wasn't, it was not long ago how, you know, he, it was funny. It wasn't long ago until he was Tony singing about Maria, right? And now it's like, it's her fault, right? So what happened to the love, right? Um, but it was, this is a, the other kicker. It was God's fault. Notice he said that. It was the woman that you put here. So I'm just a victim. You put this woman here, and she flashed her feminine wiles at me, and I'm just the victim here, right? That's essentially what he's saying. Fortunately, I think that's us many times. I think we kind of take that on often. Right. The woman blames the serpent, and then we come with punishment. Um, punishment comes. And so what is that punishment as a result of it? Um, one, the serpent is cursed. He must crawl on, 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 the be on his belly and will eat the dust of the ground. Thistles and weeds now appear. Uh, work becomes toil. No longer does, does Adam and Eve have the, have the joy of work, and work can be a joy at times, but now it becomes a toil. Uh, uh, there's pain in childbirth. They're banished from Eden. They're banished from God's presence, and death now reigns. However, it's not lost. Because, um, uh, so that's, that's the, it's not lost. We see the beginning of God's plan. Um, we see this, we see God beginning God's plan to get us back to Eden. Um, it says there in uh, chapter 3, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his head. So this is a response to the serpent. This is an allusion to what Jesus will do. Plans were already laid for the coming Messiah who will, who will save us and take us back to Eden. Romans 16.20 says this, The God of peace will soon crush Satan 
under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus will be with you. So he had already started his plan to get us back. The story is continuing. The story began with God creating the earth, and now it's continuing here with the fall. But it's continuing on, and the story will continue on through Jesus until now. So I want to conclude with some final thoughts, and I, um, well, we did get quicker than I thought, but um, um, if the, if the uh, worship wants to kind of make their way up front, they can. One is, is that one of the takeaways, God is the creator of all things. As I mentioned above, I was not sure about the 24-hour day, none of their fights, um, and I don't want to get wound up in it. And this is why, one, the Bible is not a textbook. It doesn't tell me, it doesn't tell me how to, um, you know, to, uh, it doesn't tell me, it does, it's not a science book. It doesn't tell me to treat a wound. It doesn't tell me how to build a perfect foundation for a house, right? That was not the purpose of the Bible, all right? Uh, it was a different purpose. The purpose of the Bible was to talk about our relationship with God, and that was always the focus. Um, we have one chapter devoted to the creation of things. If I, I actually, I, I, again, this is my opinion, but I'm guessing there's a lot more details that were left out. I'm sure that there was a lot more than that web, but we were just given one chapter. We're given one picture. I believe the first chapter is to illustrate one thing, God as creator. Um, he's the creator of all things. He is Elohim. He's the source of life. Of course, this means that he either directly created something or created something that will create other things like seeds, you know, growing plants. You know, procreation. In short, he is Elohim, the creator of all things. Second thing is, God is trustworthy. We need to stop committing the original sin. We must put God first and trust that, that life is best in his hands. Some may say that Eve was right in wanting to know more and that God should not have kept something from her. But that is the lure. That is the lure for us, Right? Um, all, I, all I will do is point to my first point. He is Elohim. He created all things. He is the source of all life. What right do we have to demand things from God? Reminded of this passage, Romans 9, 20 through 21. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who has formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? And the last point is, is that God's will for us is to get back to Eden. Now, not literally. We know from Revelation, you know, God's creating a place for us. It's not the, I wouldn't say it's the literal Eden. It's kind of more, meta, I'm thinking more metaphorically. But he wants to get us back to the place <clears throat> where we can commune with him freely as it was back then. And our story begins here in Genesis. And we are still part of that story. Everything God is doing throughout the Old and New Testament is part of the story of getting us back to him. That is why, like Stephen, our story begins in Genesis. Thank you.